I never liked the analogy of Detroit being this ghost town. I never liked it. Because I would come home and I would see all my people. My people live here. I moved to New York and I went all over the world. When I came home, my people were still here. My family is here. So how do you talk about a city like it's disappeared? When the people are still living here and surviving and pushing through. When people ask me about Detroit, like how's Detroit doing, I always answer, we're doing just fine. There's, you know, there's black people in Detroit and we don't want handouts. Um, we, we don't want to be felt sorry for. We're very prideful people. I live in Boston Edison, it's a beautiful, historically black neighborhood, which is more diverse than it was. Boston Edison is a, a, just a beautiful example of what's possible in our city right now because you have homeowners, like people next to me to my left. Um, Miss Gloria has been there for probably 30, 40 years. And Al, who's 80 years old <laughs> on, on the corner across the street from me, who roller skates in the middle of the summer and refuses to not let, and let anyone touch his lawn, has been there, I think, about 30 years. And then you have my neighbor, Betsy, who um, is the co-owner of the congregation of Rosa Parks, a coffee shop in the neighborhood that's walk, you can walk to, who has who's been there a few, a few years and has a new baby and very, very new to the city um, as a resident. And so you have these intersections of people living together and finding ways to plant flowers and gardens together and uh, we share uh, food or tomatoes that we've grown during the pandemic. A lot of us got closer and got to know each other more, watching each other's uh, families and, and children grow up. And so when, when people talk about Detroit without the people that live there, being able to tell their collective story of survival. So shout out to the people of Detroit, the ones who stayed and fought <laughs> and decided that they weren't going to give up their home and they were going to open a business or they're going to continue to fight for this city's namesake. And I'm, I'm proud because I'm one of them. This is Intersections Detroit, Resilience and Hustle from the Heart of the D, Chapter 7, The People. Being a Detroiter is having the resilience to live with nine months of gray skies and having the energy to celebrate when the clouds break. We party hard here. A lot of people don't know, but Detroit is a party city. And we also love hard. I think there's a lot of grit here, which is not so much a euphemism as it is literal. <laughs> um, the streets are gritty, and also people tend to have a little edge to their attitudes. But again, when you live through nine months of gray skies, just solid overcast <laughs> for months and months, um, it makes sense that you get that, and it makes sense that you're that much more appreciative for all the good things when they come. Detroit's a small town. It's a big city, it's 139 square miles, and bigger than most big cities, <laughs> but it's a small town. It, there's a migration that families have followed from the east side to the west side as their economics have improved, which has created smaller communities where people have known each other for years and years. People are attached to high schools 
in very deeply connected ways and have huge reunions and picnics. I usually say there's two degrees of separation in Detroit as opposed to six everywhere else. So the loving side is that we all know each other and we all are family. Man's greatest invention is the city. Uh, everything else is kind of uh, an add-on to society, but you know, creating the systems and the laws and and ability to live together in a in a collective and, and share responsibilities for life is man's actually greatest invention. And I wanted to live in the heart of a large metropolitan city. And if you're going to do that in the state of Michigan, you're going to move to Detroit, and that's what I did. One great thing about Detroit is no matter where you go. Somebody seems to have an opinion of Detroit, whether they like it, they hate it, they heard it, it's a bad place. It was always good to be from somewhere like that. And I ended up back graduating college. Rather than move to the suburbs, I chose to move to downtown Detroit in 1996. One time in the late 80s, my father and his brothers had a company, and when they sold, the building became vacant. At the time, nobody really wanted another auto factory in the city of Detroit. And I went down and set up an agreement with the city of Detroit that I'd, I'd pay the back taxes off over three years. And I said, figure out what to do with this place. Detroit at the time was the largest city in the United States with no recycling program. So we set up shop next to the bar and people showed up. And it became a community event. The city took notice and asked us how to create a recycling program for the city of Detroit, grassroots style. We've recycled over 30 million pounds of material, been visited by over 800,000 citizen visits. We were actually doing more for the city by giving people a place to gather and connect. In order to learn to be or want to be neighbors again, you had to bring people together. I think we give people that opportunity, and I never knew the value of that until I created something. And I uh, didn't move here to fix anything. I like the rawness. Kind of just found my way in this big old weird city of Detroit. I had an opportunity to set up shop here on Holden Street. Basically created really interesting things in this building out of accidents and saying yes. My name is Matthew Naimi and I consider myself the garbage man or a cultural janitor in the city of Detroit. I like to do things to help the environment and to inspire people to color outside the lines or color where there are no lines and take ownership of what they do.
When I came to Detroit, I was trying to figure out where I belonged geographically and in all kinds of other ways as well. I didn't know if I was going to want to be here. I was interested in becoming a writer. I had always done environmental work before, so I was interested to continue that, but I was really open. I got a short-term job doing housing research and it turned me into an activist. I, I say it radicalized me. I sort of fell backwards into the housing crisis in Detroit. What was unique about it for me is that I found myself very surprisingly in a position of being able to make a massive positive impact on people's lives. Detroit in particular has a lot of unhealed wounds. I think that we have tried to allow time or you know, we try to rebuild and, and, and paper over some things, but I don't know that we have truly healed. And I think that's the work of our time and our generation, and that's something I am really hopeful for us engaging in in the future. You know, we've lost this collective wisdom of how to heal, I think, and that can be an excuse for only so long. At some point, we have to relearn those skills, we have to figure them out together, we have to coexist, we have to work together. Shut up, please. I don't really think I know the moment that I got hooked, but I do know that it was no longer a question. I, I just lived here. It was, it was the one certainty that I did have. And probably that was because I so quickly felt like I was part of a community. And I also really loved the opportunity that Detroit gave me to reinvent myself. As people would say, aren't you the poet? Or aren't you the, the writer? Aren't you the singer? And I had never been attributed those adjectives before. You know, I was, I was the engineer or the something else. But So I really enjoyed the, the possibility it was giving me to, to grow. My name is Michelle Oberholzer. I am an activist, I'm a singer, I'm a writer, I'm a housing advocate, and I've always been all of those things, but I never had a chance to become them until I came to Detroit.
I saw Aretha Franklin come in one night. And I said, that's Aretha Franklin. And I said, so how are you going to get her your card? So she had like a ring of bodyguard. And I just wait till all of them looking the other way. And I went and slipped in my card. That's when I was wearing my hair straight. I got a call within a week. And I became her personal DJ for like four years. But I was working at, with Dobbles down at the African Bead Museum. It, it's actually the only place in the city of Detroit where it's visibly African and where the African energy is obvious. And one of the statues hit, hit a drum. And I look at that drum, I said, it's like it spoke to me. So I bought that drum, and that's the drum that taught me how to play the rest of the drums. I started researching Africa. I started researching ancestral communication. And it's really the only thing that's real. That's how I learned how to play the drums. There's nobody showed me except for the ancestral communication. And I used to get kicked out of drum classes here. Any drum class I go to, we don't want to hear it like this. So by handling the masks and the statues and textiles and beads, those are the tools that the ancestors said were the tools of communication, not spirituality. So it, it's that communication. It's a nonverbal communication, but it, I'm living proof that it works. I was raised Catholic. This is not what I was raised to be. You know, so, and the only thing that I can say, Davos didn't show me how to make masks. Davos didn't show me how to play drums. And there's nobody showed me except for the ancestral communication. And that's been the biggest, most significant thing to happen to me in my life, outside of having a child. If you see me out in the street and I'm smiling, I'm acting. I'm, I'm one of the number one actors here in the city of Detroit. If not for the street, I wouldn't be here. This, it didn't come by accident either. It took like 10, 12 hours a day. A lot of people telling me to shut the hell up. Don't want to hear that shit. Call the police. It's rough. I paid my dues and everybody else. and. I got invited to Detroit Symphony Orchestra. I even played at the High Holy Days. It's a Rosh Hashanah Jewish festival. And that was uh, something rare to have African drummer playing at the Jewish a ritual. They read the Torah, the whole nine. And it was beautiful to see some people embracing their culture and somebody holding it down. I have to be thankful for that. My name is Ife Bess, number one drummer on the planet, proud African, born in Detroit. West Side, right off of Davidson and uh, 14th. Raised in America.
Kang. most wonderful times of my life was with my mother and my two brothers in our house. My mother just making beautiful clothing for our family and we were poor and never knew we were poor until I got out of my house into my community. I was born in Detroit but raised in Highland Park which is a little pocket in the middle of Detroit. My mother was a single mother. My mother came from foster care, so that was very valuable to me to keep my family together growing up. Seeing my mother and her siblings go through homelessness and, and mental illness and drug addiction and incarceration was something I never wanted to happen. I remember wishing I, I could own a, a mansion and one floor would be for dogs and cats, one would be for my family, and one would be for the homeless and anybody in my family who may have ended up homeless. Ironically, I was able to own an independent living facility at one time. It was not a, you know, a place for dogs and cats, but I did house the homeless. I became this person who really just started advocating for people. My kids came along when I was 22. I always look at my children as my reason to live, to, to love living. I became an activated parent that became a gatekeeper at the school, saying what a safe and caring school should and shouldn't be and look like. And I worked with other parent leaders in the community to identify what our schools should and shouldn't incorporate for our kids. That led me on this journey of just being more or less an advocate for humanity. I fight for kids to always have access to quality resources, education, and everything that they need. I'm always in a community meeting people. I'm not scared to walk through alleys, walk up to kids, and I see kids acting a certain way. I'm like, hey, come on, stop. Don't do that. You know, you need to have more pride in yourself, have more pride in your community. This is your community. How are you going to take care of it? One of my biggest goals is to connect the kids and families to the resources that they need to hopefully make change because I fight alongside so many parents in Detroit who do wonderful work advocating for what kids need in all schools in the city of Detroit. 
It's no one person who can ever do this work. And if I'm around other people who's doing it, I'm gonna get ideas. I just absorb that energy. I feel like sometimes I can sit back and just relax because they're willing to you know, take on where I can't do something. What makes it work is having people from all walks of life that unite together. Nobody's being fake. They're coming with their problems raw and either you can help them or you're gonna lead them to somebody else who can help them. In Detroit, we have to have people who fight for what's right. We have to have values and principles set for our kids because if not, then they're gonna fall by the wayside. My name is Bernita Bradley and I'm a mother of two and a grandmother. I live in Detroit and I am a passionate lover of humanity. My grandmother and her husband migrated to Detroit in the 1940s, and the street that we're on right now is the street about a half a block from here. They purchased a house, and their house kind of served like as the Underground Railroad. So everybody that was coming from Alabama that needed a place to stay or they needed a job opportunity, they actually provided them with those opportunities by helping them securing jobs within the plants here in Detroit and also signing on for them to get rental agreements or even helping them get land contracts to get houses in Detroit. 
when I would come home from school, my grandmother would always ask, what happened in the news today? I'm like, I don't know. You've been at home all day. You tell me. <laughs> but that sparked me to read the newspaper every day before I got home from school. So my grandmother, Thelma Robinson, and uh, my grandfather, Fred Stallworth, were individuals who actually had a love for education and a love for community. And so a part of who I am in regards to education and this curiosity for life comes from my grandmother, my grandfather, as well as my mother. I had this conversation with my students in regards to what I believe community is. And I recall growing up and post the civil rights movement, there was this big push for understanding yourself as a black person in America. And George Benson's song, The Greatest Love of All, really pushed us to understand that we have a sense of pride and that we can be somebody successful if we work together as a collective to advance a broader mission. That song and that experience post the civil rights movement, plus growing up in a household where my grandmother, Thelma Robinson, my mother, Reverend Dorothy Hudson, embraced people from outside of the family, as well as people in the family to help move them to the next level, is central to who I am, so I can't run away from it to see a person who's in need or a person who has assets that have not been yet realized is like natural to help them lift up those assets. The challenges that we have politically across the world can be addressed when we can all just see each other as humans first. While I identify as a, a black man, I only identify as that because that's what people see when I come in the room. But ultimately, I'm a human. I am Dr. Truman Hudson, Jr., and I'm an educator and a community builder. months of gray skies, just solid overcast <laughs> for months and months. Um, it makes sense that you get that, and it makes sense that you're that much more appreciative for all the good things when they come. I come from a family of teachers and ministers, and in both cases I think you see people who like to find opportunities. In the ministry you're trying to find people who have an opportunity to transform their lives. In education you're trying to teach people how to be different or how to think different or how to do different things. So I think those two threads my my family have really influenced who I am. All the kids would hang out in the backyard. We always had people over for dinner. My parents were always picking up, you know, stray cats and dogs at church and bringing them home Sunday afternoon. And, you know, that's how we got to know people and know the world. My name is Mark Wallace. I'm working on transforming the Detroit Riverfront into a beautiful series of parks. I love to see potential in things and help that potential become a reality. Detroit is a really big city. The strongest parts are those places where people are starting to pull together. And the Riverwalk is one of those spots. You know, this is a place where everyone wants to show up. It's a place where everyone wants to get together. And it's a good reminder of how cool life is when people are occupying the same space. 
People live really isolated lives today. It doesn't happen that often in our town, and we're really excited that this is one of those spots that, that happens every day. I spend a lot of my time evaluating where and how I feel at home. I was born in Beirut. My first memories of the world are within that setting, but also at that time, Lebanon was still under occupation. So other memories were my brothers almost getting shot because a helicopter flew over our house and the bullets landed right between the three of them. War was a huge part of the childhood bombs. Like, I'm still afraid of fireworks. I moved here with my siblings to live with my father, who was married to an American woman who didn't speak Arabic, and my mother stayed in Lebanon. I was in a new country where I didn't speak the language, and my mother, who's the person I'm closest to, wasn't there. My sense of home was destroyed. During that time period where I was beginning to understand myself and my sexuality. I sort of felt very alone and I thought I was the only queer Arab Muslim person in the world because that's an abomination. How could I be queer? I met someone who was also queer and they were like, no, there's like a lot of queer Arab Muslims here and in Lebanon. Even within queer communities, there's a lot of Islamophobia around that, right? It tells you that Muslims are homophobic immediately. That's not a narrative of Arab culture, but rather a narrative of the West that perpetuates Islamophobia. That person taught me how to make home, taught me how to build these spaces that are become the safe space for that intersectionality. But also by going to this LGBT Muslim retreat, I realized a lot of the ways that I love and a lot of the ways that I build community is rooted in Islam and that that is a huge part of my identity. I am really invested in not feeling alone so I create spaces where I can reimagine home with people and I can reimagine community where other people don't have to feel like they're the only one, or even if they are, they still have a safe space to go, and that their intersectionality is beautiful and is to be celebrated, and they don't have to make a choice between either identities. I want to continue to become that because I think there's a lot of kids out there that need that person. Because I think once you create a space that is safe for marginalized communities, you create a truly safe space for everyone. My name is Noura Balut and I'm a Detroit-based artist, curator and entrepreneur, and I want to be the adult I needed as a kid.
a lot of time. I don't live in Detroit, spend a lot of time. Coming to Detroit, whether it was Belle Isle with the family, my dad was in a band called 24 Karat Black. The band would play events at Belle Isle Park. Uh, we would go to Hart Plaza. Our school in elementary would take trips every year. Every sixth grade class got to go to Detroit. They would go to Trapper's Alley, spend the day at Hart Plaza, then go to a Tigers game. That was kind of customary for uh, sixth grade at Bryant Elementary School. We would always continue to come to Detroit, you know, it, whether it was just the fellas coming to hang out, go to Belle Isle, or take a Sunday drive and, you know, just cruise around the city. And I really didn't understand Detroit like I thought I did until I actually started working down here. I started working for Whole Foods Market in 98, 99. We serve a really diverse community. I've learned so much. I look at this community like family. Some people may look at it as a grocery store, but I look at it as a community meeting place. You truly have to be invested in people. So to me, it's really giving back. It's going by to each one, reach one, teach one philosophy, sharing everything I can with my community and with my team so they can continue to grow and be leaders. You know, it's really about sharing knowledge and treating people right. Detroit has really awakened my consciousness of truly what it's like to serve a community. I think that sometimes we have in our heads what we think is right. And if you really say you want to serve a community, you got to listen to people. My name is Larry Austin Jr. I consider myself a family man. I work for Whole Foods Market as a store team leader here in Detroit, Michigan. Big up to everybody in Detroit that's making an impact or trying to make an impact, even the ones we don't see. I just love being here. Intersections Detroit is produced by LaToya Cross in the D for the Human Atlas and Rethink Audio. The executive producer and sound designer is Sarah Miles. Original music by Brian Eno, Ife Bess, and Marcus Elliott. Concept and interviews conducted by Marcus Lyon and his Human Atlas team. That's Camilla Pastorelli and Joe Briggs Price. Support for Intersections and the Human Atlas comes from the Kresge Foundation, working to expand opportunities in America's cities through grant-making and social investing. For more information, go to kresge.org. Special thanks to all iDetroiters, the people of our city. Your resilience, fire, and voice is what makes this work possible. My name is Jessica Caremore. See you back here next week when you follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find great stories. Peace.